0: Tyler Smith. And this is more than one lesson. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you all had uh, a good Christmas uh, and a a happy new year. It is 2017. Uh, I guess that's exciting. I don't know. It's it's by the time you hear this, I believe I will have started school. No, I have not. Uh, I start school on January 9th. And uh, there's a very fun and odd announcement Um, I'm going to be a TA for a a film history class. Now that means a very different thing at UCLA than it did at Columbia College Chicago. It uh, it means yes, assisting the professor, but it also means that you teach what's called a section, which is you've got the main lecture, and then the TA teach, which is several hours, and then the TA on a different on a different day teaches a 1-hour section which is a supplementary lesson to what was taught in the lecture. And so that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to actually be uh in a teaching situation um and the lessons are up to me. Like I I have not ultimate control because it does still have to be dictated by what the lecture was about. Um but yeah, so I'm going to be talking with 18 and 19 year olds and not all of them are are film majors is going to be very strange and it does pay and it pays very well. So I actually am going to be taking a short break from my job. Uh, And this is what I'll be doing for a living. And I'll also be in classes. So it's going to be very strange and very time consuming. Um, So I'm just going to say for the next several weeks, I'll be posting episodes that I recorded before January 1st. So if something big has happened in the world, which I know there's going to be an inauguration, but beyond that uh, and I don't address it, that's why, although maybe I'll record something separate if it's that big of a thing. Um, So you may wonder why, why uh, my tone is a certain way. And it's because Probably well into February, I'll be posting stuff that was recorded beforehand. So, uh, okay. Real quick, a couple of announcements. Number one, um, there's a new uh, article by Esther O'Reilly in which she responds to uh, the episode that Josh and I recorded about uh, Christian social drama. It's very interesting, the stuff that she says. There is a new Fear of God uh, podcast in which they go over 2016 and the various movies, horror movies specifically, that they've seen uh i wrote a review of the film a monster calls which actually is only in limited release i thought it was in wide release but uh no it's in a few select cities uh but if you are somebody that uh if you are somebody who lives in a city where a monster calls is playing seek it out it is a really wonderful film uh and then lastly i have been re- okay so listeners might recall that i had as a guest uh, Andrew Claven at the very beginning of October uh, he was the first episode of Halloween times in which we talked about werewolf movies well at the time he was uh, talking about his his uh, memoir the great Good thing which he gave me a copy of but because of school I was not able to read until now and I ripped through that book it is great it's really really good I shouldn't be I shouldn't be surprised because Andrew is a Novelist and uh, a very specific type of novelist, and so the the book is uh, very conversational in a lot of ways, but still uh, very eloquent in other ways. And the stu- and he's very open and honest about the situation, uh, his situation growing up. And uh, yeah, I would highly recommend reading it. It is it's a fast read and it's an interesting read. It's it's uh, funny at times. It's uh, emotional at other times. And so, yeah, really seek that out. We, are, we do sell it at the More Than One Lesson Amazon page. Um, I don't get commission or anything, so don't, please don't think that I'm trying to do this as a way of uh, getting some money from you guys or anything. It's more just uh, recommend something that actually was a, a, a pretty big blessing for me as I was reading it, and hopefully it will be for you as well. All right. Enough of that. That's a lot of announcements, everybody. Uh, but now it's time to bring things down and invite in my co-host, Robert Hornack. Robert, how you doing?
1: Hey, I'm good. How are you, Tyler?
0: I'm doing fine. You heard how I'm doing. I'm doing okay. You
1: are. Uh, two things. One, uh, the things that you said are new probably aren't new because of the first thing you said, which was that this is actually recorded a while ago.
0: I know, but this is the first one of those mm. that's going to be posted.
1: Okay, it's even, still yeah. Even then, Reed's po- uh, you know, episode might not be so new. That's true. Yeah, I'm just saying. Okay, just a qualifier that might not be so new when yeah. people go to them.
0: Well, seek it out anyway. You the, know, second worth, thing,
1: worth, it, uh, the second thing worth Second thing is much more positive. Um, now you do this. You do this podcast mm-hmm. and others, and this seems to be kind of what you're built for. I mean, because you, you you're just very knowledgeable and uh, eloquent. Mm-hmm. and great recall all those kind of things really play into it i can't think of anything that you might be better at than actually teaching this stuff um i just i i i can see you doing that and i i, I have no problem with that it's just you're you seem to be a person who would be built for that as well so i'm very excited to hear about your teaching assistant gig and yeah i think that's going to be a uh, success for you
0: i am excited for it um and honestly being in front of people being in front of the students doesn't bother me um there because uh, i took a ta training class and some of the other students in that um said that they were worried about you know speaking in front of people that's that's <laughs> that not, would be that's me. not an
1: issue for oh, me Oh man that would
0: be so um, me but uh where i get nervous is in anything organizational or or administrative Um, what do you you have to do that is that, well, you just have to like keep track of attendance, keep track of participation. Uh, I have to memorize everybody's names.
1: No, thank you. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, I can't just go through calling everybody chief. Um, (laughs) buddy. So, hey there sports. Um, but, uh, I will say this one thing, uh, it's kind of a funny story. Um, so when there was, when I, uh, when I was first, and by the way, this fell into my lap, I did not pursue it. I took the TA training class, but beyond that, I wasn't planning on pursuing this until next year. Um, Hmm. but I got an email from one of the people that works in the department and said like, Hey, do you want to do this? And I thought like, Oh, okay. I need to rearrange my thinking, but sure. Um, but he first said, do you want to TA for film history? And I thought, okay, yeah, sure, I can do that. And he said, okay, let me get back to you. And so he then asked a few days later, he said, hey, we have a, a – I, I want to get you in somewhere. He said, would you be interested in Tiang for a class called Film and Social Change? Hmm. And I said, huh, maybe. Uh, the class was would be taught by uh, my professor from uh, – uh, my Alfred Hitchcock class who he's my age. Like it's, uh, I think we, it, it it definitely wouldn't be a partnership. He's obviously in charge, but, uh, I taught, so I called the guy who approached me and said, here's a, here's the thing. We live in rather turbulent political times. And while I would not be overtly political in the stuff that I said, um, I might accidentally say something Mm -hmm. political because it's film and social change. It might be difficult for me to, to remove any kind of bias that I have. It almost sounds like they want that. Not from me. (laughs) I mean, I hate to be, uh, here's the thing. I hate to be all God's not dead about it, but things aren't super great for conservative students or faculty on campus. Okay. Um, whether you support Trump or not, which I don't and very few other people uh, that I know do on campus. Um, but at the same time, uh, this is this is an age where students are triggered. Um, and if I said something by accident, um, lawsuit. Not so much a lawsuit, but you can get in trouble, and and I just sure. don't want to deal with that. And it's so insured. I said, I said, so I called him up and said, "Hey, just a heads up, you should know this about me and my uh, political beliefs." And he goes, "Oh, well, that's perfectly fine." And I, I said, "Okay," because I don't want to. I certainly don't want to bother any of the kids by accident, but also I don't want to get in trouble because I did. And he goes, "No, no," he goes, it, "It's fine. We want a, a variety of opinions." And the next day he goes, "Okay, we got you for film history, no problem." Ah, gotcha. So, uh, nice. You know, and which is which is what he wanted in the first place. I'm sure but it's I, a relief, though, isn't it? Uh, it is, but part of me was like, "Oh boy, I, w- I, I was interested to see how that would have gone." But at the same time, like, yeah, you know, uh, God puts you where where sure. He wants you, and He wanted me. I would in think film less history. stress too,
1: because I mean, it sounds like the other one would actually require some level of research on your part. Not that you won't for the other one, but you have just an innate knowledge of the of film history already.
0: Well, and what's more, it seems to be zeroed in on American film history, which I find interesting. So, like, they're even easier. I know. But also, too more, But also more frustrating. Why? Because that means we're not going to be talking about German expressionism except sure. to the degree that it influenced American film. We're not going to be talking about Russian right. uh, film in the 1920s. We're not going to be talking about like French New Oh, you'll, New you'll wave talk about or,
1: that. I mean, because you, you had to fill in the, the backstory of what, that's, where the stuff goes That's kind of what I'm thinking. Double indemnity isn't just double indemnity. Right. Et cetera. Um, so yeah, and then
0: uh, there'll be things like, for me, part of me just thinks like, okay, well, we'll be watching movies. We'll be talking about movies. I may wind up spending a good portion of the time filling in elements of a particular filmmaker Mm -hmm. or a specific genre that we happen to watch something from. Like, you know, obviously we're going to watch some Chaplin. So in the section we'll be watching some Buster Keaton and some Harold Lloyd. Um, And then maybe honestly, regardless of what people might think about it, I might throw in like some life is beautiful in there. Like, because that is a film that is greatly influenced by Chaplin. And so I I like the idea of taking, Something from film history that many people might see as completely irrelevant to mm-hmm. today. And completely isolated
1: that, in the decade that it was created.
0: Right. And it's like, well, no, these, this still influences mm-hmm. the way movies are made, um, which is one of the reasons that I love German expressionism so much. Okay. That's neither here nor there. We've got things to talk about. Robert, thank you for your compliment, but we've got to move on. Let's do it. All right. So we are talking today about Clint Eastwood's Sully, a film that I did not expect to be talking about on this show, a film I was only mildly interested in. Uh, But then once I saw it and saw the movie that it was instead of the movie that it could have been, I was actually very excited. And you can find my review at More Than One Lesson. Uh, I wrote that review actually for my film criticism class. (laughs) Um, And it was one of two movies that we were it was our first assignment and so it said he said you can either review sully or the birth of a nation i hadn't seen birth of a nation yet i still haven't seen it i had seen sully so i thought well this thing <laughs> that's an easy choice for sure. me um and so uh, which is which is by the way why the review is probably a little bit longer than anything else i write so but yeah the i went in expecting a very specific type of Movie, Honestly, a a Captain Phillips type, and I love Captain Phillips, but just a very straightforward type of thing. And what I got was something very different. Uh, What I got was a movie that is called Sully, so it makes sense that it would be about this one guy, and it is for the most part, but it's so much about everybody else as Mm -hmm. well, like air traffic controllers, um, Coast Guard uh, Mm -hmm. people. Coast Guarders. That's not right. Anyway, (laughs) his his co-pilot, the flight attendants, like everybody had a role to play in this, not being a horrible disaster. right? And that is so exciting to me. The idea of that, because this was directed by Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood is a guy who, a director that I admire quite a bit because how often he dips into deflating certain ideas you know he he he, his career as an actor was based on you know the dirty harry movies and various westerns Mm -hmm. and then he makes unforgiven which is all about the 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 moral and spiritual toll that living the the life of the man with no name in the old west like the toll that that can take on somebody he made Mystic River and then Gran Torino. Um, well, he made Mystic River, which is like, yeah, revenge isn't always a good idea, actually, regardless of the movies that I made. And then Gran Torino, where he plays a, a Harry Callahan type mm-hmm. and then ultimately chooses self-sacrifice instead of uh, violence. So it's he, he's always been an interesting director because he does seem to want to deconstruct the very things that made him famous. Right. And Sully is all about heroism. And movies tend to... I'd say American culture in general, but movies tend to look at stories, real life or fictional and say, who's the hero? And they singularize it. And by making this movie, calling it Sully, which makes sense why they would, but they call it Sully. It stars Tom Hanks. Everything about it seems like it should be Captain Phillips, which is very much about this guy. And so he he sets up our expectations, and then, in my opinion, he it not not so much that he undercuts them, but he he corrects them and says, very few people are there's there are very few lone heroes in this world. Most of them have backup either immediately, like the person to their right, or the people behind the scenes that you'll never hear about. Um, but yeah, very it's very seldom that one person will solve everything. Um, and that idea was so invigorating to me, uh, and we'll talk about you know what the, the the film itself in a moment. But that that is one of the things that really got to me uh, about Sully, and certain things at the end, which we'll t- we'll talk about more um, uh, as the episode goes on. So that was my reaction. It was positive. It's I think it's in my it's currently in my top 10 of the year, but honestly there's a lot of movies I haven't seen and I could see it getting bumped out. Sure. Um, which is, which is fine. Um, I don't think it's a perfect film by any stretch. Um, but I do think that there's some really, I don't know. There's, there's so much about it that I find fascinating. Now I think I like the movie more than you do. Um, but I might be wrong about that based on conversations we had previously when we were planning this episode. Okay. I don't um,
1: recall that, but
0: you said something about like, I hate Sully, not just the movie. (laughs) I hate the guy.
1: I think he's a fraud basically. Oh wow. That's my, my starting point. Okay. No, not really. Uh, no, I think, I think the movie is, uh, not a great movie. I Mm -hmm. fully agree with that. Um, the, the biggest problem I have with the movie is, is sort of the forced antagonism of the NTSA. Sure. Um, especially in the face of, uh, are Mike, Michael Malley, is that the name of the guy that, Yeah, sort of the face? He's sort of the face of the NTSA. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, he's a, I don't have a problem with him as an actor, but him in that role, he just didn't seem if they're going to make him <laughs> the, the face of like the bad guy, if you want to call the NTSA, the bad guy. Um, he, I don't know. I don't know if he lives up to that. It's almost like the other guy that was on the panel at the very end of the movie, Jamie Sheridan, should have been. Yeah, like the guy with all the lines. Yeah, because he's like naturally intimidating, whereas Michael Malley is kind of like he wants to be your friend. Well, too maybe much. that's
0: why they cast him. Maybe well, they didn't. But, maybe but, the antagonism of the script uh, is something that they wanted to undercut a little bit so they cast Michael Malley, who's a remarkably likable actor.
1: But they shouldn't have, because all the lines they gave him were like the the lines forced him to act in a way that wasn't him. In other words, like the kind of leering, not leering, that's not the right word at all, but the kind of uh like sidelong looks at like, hey, yeah. I think we got you on this one, you know, moments. None of those, none of those played to me. And it, yeah. it felt like it needed to be a movie that was about Sully. And about the people around him that helped him, you know, yeah. through this thing, like you've described, without the antagonism. There are movies that work that, that can work that way, yeah. and maybe it's Clint Eastwood, you know, the Hollywood system, you know, that all of that makes him feel compelled that he's got to do something. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. he didn't write the movie.
0: Well, and he's also yeah, and he notoriously does not change the script. So sure, exactly, so he did not incorporate a lot of himself into. This. Well, so
1: he's got to maybe maybe in that case he's the one that cast Mike O'Malley and maybe he was trying to undercut the sort of lines that were given to him without actually having to change the lines. But the truth is that that whole part of the movie didn't work for me, even at the end, um, which you still will talk about more, but sort of the way that end is constructed where it's like, okay, we're at this final public hearing. There's people in the audience or in the crowd kind of listening in. There's all these big shots like listening and taking notes and watching all the stuff play out on the screens and Sully himself and his, uh, co-pilot are listening in to the CVR and all this stuff and it's all happening. And then there's like this moment where Sully needs to step out because it's, I do love that moment. I love the moment when he says, I need to step out because it's like that. something about Tom Hanks and the gravitas he brings to the role and the movie almost all by himself. Yeah. lends quality to that moment, but then they step out and they have like a, a very brief dialogue. They come back in and then they have this big moment where they found, they yeah. just got the news of this, uh what they found with the the motor or the, uh, the right. engine. And I don't know, just the way it's constructed just feels like kind of sloppy too. And that's Clint Eastwood. I'll be honest because he, he, he can be sloppy. He can be a very sloppy filmmaker and without, it's interesting that the movie is what you're saying it's about because Clint Eastwood, without a bunch of other people working around him saying no, you should probably do this, I think would probably make nothing but sloppy movies. And this is this is I'm not trying to be disparaging, although it sounds incredibly disparaging, but he's an economical filmmaker and a filmmaker who likes to quit early. I mean, he's notorious mm-hmm. for like wanting to just make it make it a kind of an easy day. And he's an old guy. He, well, even in the old he's days. That, yeah. That's- um, I'm not trying to disparage him as a person or as a filmmaker because he's made some really great movies. Yeah. Unforgiven is still one of my favorite movies.
0: Well, and his economy—I think that's a good word. His economy as a filmmaker sometimes makes is the absolute right choice for the film. I think something like Million Dollar Baby is better because sure. there's not a lot of ornamentation to it. Right,
1: um, and this one too. I don't want to—I don't want to say that this movie isn't good because of the, what Clint Eastwood himself brings yeah. to it. But the things that are um, meant—my whole point is that the the things that are meant to make it feel like there's a bad guy in the movie don't work at all. And I think it's because he doesn't really care.
0: That is stuff that belongs in a worse movie.
1: Hmm, True. You know,
0: when you look at the stuff—the stuff that I was talking about before, where it is about—it is about how you know nobody does this alone. You know, a more even okay. So let's let's keep the hearings in, and let's keep these things. let the, what? what is it, uh, uh, what's the name of the organization? NTSA. NTSA. It's not an organization, it's a department, but whatever. Yes. Um, the TSA, TSA, NTSA also has a job to do, just like everybody else. Sure. And if you made it that, like, yes, they have questions, and yes, this doesn't seem to be lining up for them, but you make them maybe bureaucratic as opposed to full-on suspicious. Sure. Um, And maybe even slightly apologetic. That, like, hey, I'm sorry we have to do this, but we do have to do this. And maybe even provide a scene where they say, where Sully's being a little bit argumentative with them and they say, hey, we all have a job to do. And honestly, like, if you did something wrong, we need to know. They don't say that
1: outright. That's not in the script. But I think that that tone is there at the very beginning, the very first sort of table. Like, it's a very, it grows. That that scene's pretty good. I like the scene because they say, they use the word crash. Yeah. And immediately he says, oh, wait, this wasn't a crash. It was a forced landing. Yeah, A successful forced landing. There was no crash about it. Yeah, And that makes him the antagonist. And so then Michael O'Malley becomes the bad guy in that point because he's yeah. like, well, but he, yeah. they're saying the things you're saying, but not in the tone that you're saying. And it kind of makes that part of the movie it's, come off. Ooh, yeah. Off. Tone
0: is what we're talking about. Like those mm-hmm. scenes at the end, the scene as written, I think, is a little bit cliche. But again, If you strike the right tone, and this is where, honestly, where a lot of – this is one of the reasons why uh, this was one of the films assigned in that film criticism class. Because we're supposed to talk about outside things that might influence the way we watch these movies. Hmm. Well, we know that Clint Eastwood is a Republican. Right. And that he likely, being – being being not merely a Republican, but Clint Eastwood as a Republican probably doesn't have a whole lot of patience for bureaucracy. <laughs> and so, you know, he would look at, OK, the go- like something great happened and no one died. And this is amazing. But we can't let but we're the government. So we can't let that sit. You know, we right. need to find a problem. And now I don't think that necess- I don't think that's necessarily true. But it could be, you know, I mean, every director is going to bring their own stuff into into a movie. And so maybe that's why the tone is a little, for lack of a better term, snide. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, those are the scenes. And actually, I wound up not talking about that in my paper, um, which and there was no rule that said we had to. And then the instructor, uh, he still gave me an A. And he sa- still said, like it was well written and stuff. He goes, he goes, but you, you know, he goes, you could have touched more on this, and mm. and I didn't say anything, but it's like I could have, and then I wouldn't have I gotten didn't, an A, but didn't I have, but I didn't have to. Yeah. Instead, I was much more interested in this other stuff. Sure. You know, it's 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 tough because do you talk about what Clint Eastwood was trying to do, or do you want to talk about the things that he brought in, either consciously or unconsciously? That's interesting. As a Republican, yeah. But to me, I'm much more interested in what he was, what I think he was trying to do. I think
1: it's interesting uh, if you want to cast the movie as a political film, that is to say, conservative versus liberal or mm-hmm. Republican versus Democrat. And I remember it's not so much a, sort of a catchphrase now, but about four years ago, I guess, when when Obama was being was out running for for uh, his second term, right? And he said something like, "You didn't build it," and that just became kind of this. Right. It's like the the conservative side became, oh. Uh, you know, well, I did build it, you know, but you didn't because, you know, all these other people helped you. It just very, right. it became, unfortunately, a politicized thing to say that you had had help becoming yeah. a success. It's like, no, yeah. I did it all myself. So it feels almost like a, it's interesting that, you know, that uh, Eastwood as a Republican yeah. would make a movie that is so centrally about the fact that one person can't do it. It does, it does require one person's gut reaction to get the yeah. thing going. But in order to make it an actual success, it, it can't just be one guy. It's got to be Aaron Eckhart. It's got to be the Coast Guard. It's got to be right. the traffic control guy. It's got to be all these people. Yes. And uh, I'm not trying to set, just in the context of what you were saying about it being, uh, like he, be, he being a Republican right. made me think of that. I don't know that it's necessarily okay. a reaction against anything political. I think I it's do. literally his admiration for a guy who can pull something off.
0: Yeah, and and honestly, like he is still a fairly mainstream filmmaker with mainstream Mm -hmm. sensibilities and most stories operate best with may, if not a villain an antagonist, Mm -hmm. even American sniper, which I thought was at times amazing and other at other times not um, even that one, it wasn't enough that this was a guy in the midst of war. That's, that's bad enough, but that there, that they, Incorporated this other character that maybe existed or didn't, I'm not sure, um but this this like other sniper, and like these two are constantly they're they know about each other and all it's like, come on, what's this doing in a biopic? That's ridiculous, yeah, um but it it gives the viewer something to latch on to. I think that's dumb, I think it's manipulative, but I understand why that kind of thing is incorporated. And I can understand why it was incorporated here is we need to, we need to not merely be on Sully's side. We need to defend him. We Mm. need to fight for him. And it was like, well, who are we fighting against? Oh, we need someone to fight against. Okay. Got it. Um, and it, you know, and this is a short movie already. So if you, you it's like 90 90 minutes, 90 minutes. (laughs) So if you remove those scenes or that's the thing, I don't think they should be removed. I think they should be changed. Um, so Good point. the, ton- Good so the point. tone is different. Uh,
1: I like, I like thinking about this movie as I do a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, sadly. Um, like thinking about what, what if someone else directed it mm-hmm. and how, and I don't have an answer for this. I don't, I don't know who else to, to imagine. I just imagine the kind of movie that would make, make it more satisfying for me. And that's those scenes like where he's running. And he's hearing the voices yeah. and, or he's waking up from a, a terrible dream based on the incident yeah. um, and kind of getting underneath that aspect of his personality now because of what happened. Yeah, And what that is to me is, uh, and the, I mean the movie definitely deals with this and we can talk about it more probably later, but but the fact that his, his courage and his gut reaction and, is so the the result of that could the, the two possible results of that one is success and failure are so yeah. close together yeah. so close i mean one thing goes wrong with the landing of that plane it flips and everyone's dead yeah. or fractured necks or whatever um, it's not the you know newsworthy it's still newsworthy but it's not newsworthy in the same way right and so the fact that those two things are so close together makes him a person walking around going sort of on eggshells with himself. Yeah. It's like I could have done the worst possible thing. I can't believe that actually worked yeah and uh, and and that's a that's a big deal and I, I don't I don't know Sully in real life obviously I don't know Tom Hanks but right. but I'm just wondering a movie made by someone who is more about... Uh, getting underneath that and like how that actually affects a person before and after would be fascinating because it's a tragedy. I mean, there are other, there are narrative movies like um, I think of uh, what's the Jeff Bridges one where he survives fearless, fearless. Um, It's a plane crash movie where that, that is what it's about. Mm. I think if I remember it correctly, but it's, it's a, it's about, it's more about the feelings and the reaction to it than it is the NTSA and um, and the, you know, the, the bureaucracy of it and, and having to fight these people that are sort of outside of yourself, it's such an internal thing to have to deal with. I just saved 155 people's lives, including my own, yeah. that could have gone so much worse with just one hair's difference. Yeah. That is fascinating. And the movie touches on it without really getting underneath it. I think it's, uh, I, that, that's actually something that I like about the movie is that
0: is what other directors would have done. And what they would have done is been more conventional. I think that's what you're talking about is more conventional. It's conventional because it's effective, but it's a more conventional way to approach it. I like that they're being true to this idea of Sully, that he is not a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve, Mm -hmm. that this is a guy who's going to keep things internal, both fear and celebration, Um, but that he's still dealing with it. Like He still has some PTSD, but he's also... Acutely aware constantly that this could have gone wrong, yeah it just as easily could have gone wrong as right, and because it went right, i'm a hero. if it had gone wrong it's all my fault, you know
1: it's that, it's that i said it's all my fault is actually carried around on his shoulders, even yeah. though he succeeded yeah. something you said actually in uh, in your article. Um, your review, it's, uh, it's a combination of humility and guilt, keeping Sully a man that we so desperately want to relate to at arm's length. And it's true because he feels this feeling of guilt, even though he succeeded. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. And thank goodness it's Tom Hanks. If it was anyone else, well, I can't say anyone else, but Tom Hanks himself being in the movie, embodying that dichotomy, that friction yeah, works. He's... And him walking around saying nothing, you feel that guilt. You feel that, that, it's almost like a restlessness. It's like a, yeah. I don't, I don't want anyone around me cause I don't want to hurt them or yeah. whatever. And it's interesting that um, speaking of at arm's length. It's interesting to me. And I, I'm sort of like reevaluating this even as I'm saying it, but a, a problem that I had with the movie in structure structurally is the fact that Laura Lenny is never in a scene with Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me. I was watching a little bit of it again this morning. I'm like, why can't they be in the scene together? They're in poor Laura Lenny is having to like act in this fake kitchen, you know, like, Oh, are you okay? And crying and, But the truth is that she's at arm's length too. And that's sort of, I mean, we don't know, but the movie seems to be saying, you know, this is a couple that is probably apart more than they're together. And it's going to be that way in this movie for you, the viewer as well. And you're going to get that feeling of separation like they probably have all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So maybe I appreciate that more now in in the context of our conversation. but, But the fact that the point is that Tom Hanks definitely brings something to the movie that if it wasn't there... I think this movie would not be a success at all.
0: Yeah, uh I yeah, let's let's go ahead and use this to get into his performance. Cause I think that I think his performance is what makes the film work. There's a lot of other things that are that are very well done. And I think it's very well structured and and you know, some of the stuff that I think Clinius was trying to do. But Tom Hanks, just in general, I feel like has had like this. Late, I say late career, he's going to be acting for you know 20 more years right. if, if he lives that long. Um, but do you know something? <laughs> I just mean that, like, you know, it's frankly like with this past year, who knows? Uh, <laughs> and so, oh, sorry, yeah. Um, but he's had like this late, in my opinion, like a late career renaissance hmm. where he's been doing, he's been turning in some really wonderful performances. Now, of course, he always does, but I'd say between like I don't know, 2003 and maybe 2010 or 11 or 12. I don't know exactly. I feel like the roles that he got, he always did well, but he did well in a way that we all kind of expected. Um, it's like, okay, I think we've got Tom Hanks now. Um, you know, there it's it's interesting if you actually look at a lot of the of like great actors and you look at uh, their uh, their Oscar nominations, they get a lot when they're younger, hmm. and then they get a few when they're older. They don't get a lot in the middle years, hmm. and it's and I think it's because at that point, we, the audience and the academy, is like, okay, I think we've we know you as an actor, and the novelty of you has worn off. <laughs> you're still great. We still acknowledge that you're great, but you know it's time to make room for someone else. But then when somebody when an actor gets older, and maybe they're feeling a little, they'll they'll take some risks. Suddenly it's like, oh, I I miss I misjudged you, right. you know. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening with Tom Hanks, um, though he has not gotten an Oscar nomination, even though I think he probably should have been nominated and maybe even win for Captain Phillips. Yeah, he's good. Because I've said it before, the last 10 minutes of Captain Phillips, I think is the best acting of Tom Hanks' career. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. Uh, But then I also thought he did great work in uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Mm -hmm. um, And then he was in... uh, he did, you know, he was taking risks with cloud Atlas.
1: Oh yeah. He played A number of
0: characters. Some of the, some Larry of them, crown.
1: Ooh.
0: I didn't see it, but you know, I it, did. And he directed oh. that, you know,
1: Oh, I didn't, I forgot that.
0: But, uh, but that, but in, in something like uh, cloud Atlas, where sometimes he's playing a very decent person, as we all know, Tom Hanks can. And other times, like there's one that takes place, you know, he's on the galley of a ship and he's this treacherous doctor who takes joy in being treacherous and it's really interesting. It's, Mm. it's like a a much more toned down and believable version of his character from like, you know, the lady killers or something. Mm. Um, and so I feel like he's just been, I think he's been approaching characters from a different, I don't know, a different perspective. You know, I feel like the, now obviously there's, he wouldn't play, they wouldn't cast him as Sully if it were 10 or 15 years ago, but just because from an age standpoint, but also I think like the Tom Hanks from the mid to late 90s, maybe even early 2000s, still a great actor, you know, cast, I love Castaway. I think he's great in Saving Private Ryan. I love him in Catch Me If You Can, but um, Road to Perdition. I don't actually love him in Road to Perdition. What? Because I actually think that, I don't think he understands how best to play that character. I think he's a bit Hmm. miscast. Tom Hanks now, I think, would absolutely know how to play that character. Hmm. I think he would know how to play the strong, silent type. But then it seems like he's playing the strong, silent type instead of just being that character. Do you know what I mean?
1: I haven't seen the movie since the theater, believe it or not. So I don't remember. I remember liking the movie a lot.
0: It's a fine performance, but not what it could have been. And when I look at something like Sully and I see how tight-lipped the character is and how internal he is... Mm -hmm that's that's Tom Hanks now understanding. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. It's, it's him as an actor now understanding how best to play an internal character. Hmm. Um, not to imply that he's always extroverted or anything like that. You know, Again, he's a wonderful actor, but I don't know. I, it's just been fun over the last few years to see him really, really understand uh, characters that maybe earlier in his career yeah. he wouldn't have. Bridge of Spies? I think he's pretty good. I like him in Bridge of Spies and I feel like that's a that's a nicely modulated performance where, you know, sometimes the character is funny, other times he's righteous, sometimes he's self-righteous. Um, and I think he understands the tone from one scene to the next and he's able to be whatever that scene needs him to be while also being consistent uh, from the, over the course of the whole film. Sure. Yeah, he's very good in Bridge of Spies. Um, but uh, anyway, so... So I, and I do think that the weight of the film Sully does really come down to him and his performance, you know, understandably. So it's called Sully. Um, But yeah, just if this had been a guy who was too morose or too joyful I feel like the film would have just been, yeah, okay, fine, whatever, who cares. But because he is balancing those two things, um, thank you for quoting my review. That's very nice of you. <laughs> I still don't, re- I don't remember what I said. What is it, guilt and?
1: Uh, you said it, uh, it's a combination of humility and guilt, keeping right. Sully, a man that we so desperately want to relate to at arm's length.
0: Right. And I said, I just said right to what I said. Uh, although immediately I'm like, eh, humility is a little bit too close to guilt. Except it isn't. Uh, no, not so, at all. But I think his, his possible guilt is keeping him humble, not to imply that people should use guilt to keep themselves humble, but, um, but yeah, it's, it really is a balancing act of a performance and I, you know, not to think only in terms of Oscars, but I know that this isn't the type of performance, this is the type of character that could have gotten an Oscar nomination, but this is not the type of performance that gets an Oscar nomination but that's okay. Cause it's still that it's the best performance for the way this character is written.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking about the scene where he's in the patients room. Um, yeah. and he's sitting there and the, like the, the union guy comes in and there's like a couple of conversations and he's been waiting to hear this number. Like, yeah. did anyone die? What's the number? And that's been hanging in the air for a while. And then the guy comes in and says, just kind of looks at him and says, we got 155, which is yeah. the number of passengers, including him. And there's a look, it's sort of the captain Phillips last 10 minutes moment yeah. for this movie and it's a lot quieter, yeah. but there's that trembling and that relief yeah. and also a, in a way kind of a renewed feeling of, Oh my gosh, it was so close. Yeah. It could have gone either way yeah. all in that one, like five second block.
0: And this feeling that if the number had been 154,
1: He'd have been he devastated. would he would have
0: been devastated. Yeah. Um, and that scene, you know, it's, it's, the, the final scene with the, the hearing and all of that, um, there are things about it that bother me, but not his performance all throughout. I love his performance. And then when he says, uh, can I take a moment? And he and his co-pilot step out and I love that scene in the hallway. It's great. I, it's amazing.
1: Structurally, it doesn't make any sense to me, but the scene itself, I love, I, re- I watched it like five times yeah. in a row. Just burp, burp, burp.
0: It really is just because it's, there's a certain degree of not necessarily catharsis but it's it's similar to what you're talking about which is okay everybody made it so that's one thing but did i put them in danger unnecessarily that's the next thing and that is where you get there at the end is not merely that they ran these tests and and they couldn't do it they, they couldn't do what he did um but also just listening to it and listening to himself and listening to his co-pilot. And then this, this sense of camaraderie between the yeah. two of them, I really like, even though they, they'd never flown together before. Um, that's amazing to me. And just because obviously, you know, you get close with people when you're in a foxhole with them and that's very sure. much where they are. Yeah. And there at the end, when, when he's saying like, we did our jobs yeah, and just said it in a, just such a very, he's saying a very plain thing, but, you actually do see him taking pride in that, like a good kind of pride. He's not becoming prideful, but he's just saying, like, I did everything I could. And by the way, that's actually everything I could saved everybody's lives. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. And he's saying this
1: before the verdict. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's at peace. Maybe that's why it structurally it's there. Yeah. So that we could see him have peace with that moment before the actual verdict yeah. of like other people. It's like he, for himself. Yeah. He's come to this point. It's like you know you and I could have gone horribly, but yeah. we did our jobs and we're alive. Yeah.
0: It's a it's a remarkable scene, and uh, I go back and forth on Aaron Eckhart's performance throughout the film, but I realize that. Because his his is a little bit bigger and more extroverted, but then I realize like you do kind of need that you need someone to be more verbal when Tom, when Sully is less, mm-hmm. um, and you need and like Sully is kind of his acts as sort of his own defense, but you also need an active advocate for him, and that's that's the role that Aaron Eckhart plays, and I think he does a perfectly fine job. A lot of mustaches in this movie. Um, his Eckhart, is the best. His Eck- Eckhart's yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, doesn't use facial hair enough. Like, I remember, did you ever see uh, Aaron Brockovich? Oh, a whole long time ago. It's very bad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and it, when you think about something like Aaron Brockovich, like that's biopic named after hmm. the main character. Right. Uh, it, it started what I call Aaron Brockovich syndrome, which is usually it's a true story. And, uh, it's when all of the other characters realize that they're in a movie and it's not named after them (laughs) and they realize, Oh shoot, I guess this is Aaron's movie. Yeah. All right. I guess we should just be accommodating to her, you know? And so they play their part because they realize it's not about them. Um, and Aaron Brockovich is the type of thing that this movie could have been. It could have just been like, isn't this guy amazing all the time, Mm. but it's a film with, that is deeply melancholy instead. Um, but anyway, in Aaron Brockovich, uh, Aaron Eckhart is virtually unrecognizable as her next door neighbor. Who's like a biker and he's got this big, big beard. beard.
1: Nice. I forgot.
0: And, uh, yeah, he can do some good stuff with so facial, facial hair.
1: And, hair so. uh, was it the pledge? Which Nicholson? I movie believe was he, he has, I believe
0: he has a mustache. Has a in the pledge. Yes. We,
1: yeah. You can't be a, yeah. A cop should have mustaches, right?
0: Yes. It's how you know that they're an authority. Figure. Exactly. Um, so, uh, was there anything else? Um, let's talk briefly about the structure. I do love the structure of the film.
1: I I kind of bad-mouthed earlier, um, but I think it had more... The negative feelings about structure have everything to do with NTSA, but the structure of the movie proper is nice. I mean, the way it opens on something that can't actually be real because it's it's an accident. You know, this, okay, somebody's dreaming, and indeed it is. And then it kind of keeps going back to this this sort of visual uh, theme Mm -hmm. of he's reliving this... As if it had happened yeah. the other way over and over again in his mind. Um, I, I, I like that as well. Not only from an audience member point of view, it's like in, in a way it's sort of visceral and it's pleasing to see these things, knowing that that's not what actually happened. Yeah. But from a special effects point of view sure. and from a, just a let's go to the movies point of view, it's like kind of cool to see those things yeah. and it fits in with a, uh, the idea that we'll probably get to about nine 11, Mm -hmm. which is that the fact that there's so much of that hanging over this movie and to see that kind of play out over and over again, knowing that it didn't happen this time is a relief. Every time it didn't happen that way, every time he realize this is just a a sort of vision in his mind. And I think what I,
0: the thing that struck me the most structurally is that there's a certain element of nonlinear storytelling going on here. Um, which is when we first see the, the the event, we're actually not given much information. We're not shown very much. And I remember thinking like, oh, is that is that all we're going to see? Is this all about the aftermath? Well, and then it goes back and we see it again with a little bit more information, but not all of it. And it's not until we actually hear. Mm-hmm. It, we're, we're in the same situation as the characters. Um even Sully himself probably is a little bit unsure in his memory about what, you know, what actually happened. But only when everybody is actually listening, we have a concrete, we have concrete proof of what happened. Only then are we allowed to see everything that happened in the cockpit. And I think that's a great way to structure this. It turns it into not necessarily a mystery, but it just keeps things very vague, which when it comes right down to it, any national news story is going to deal in vagaries, you know. Yeah. Um, and so this is a film that starts with, and that's, that actually is another thing that I, I'm reluctant to, to get into simply cause I'm not sure how much the film was interested in this. Um, but maybe one of the reasons that Sully is so unknowable is because he's a national figure and we don't know him. Right. And that the film is not going to give us more than, I don't know, it, maybe the film is, is sort of exploring this idea that everybody thinks they know him, but actually he's, he's no more knowable than, than, the president or a movie star or something like that like we all we see him on the talk shows we see him in interviews and we think we know him but we actually don't and so the film so it's almost like the film will embrace that unknowability even if the larger culture doesn't so maybe it's that i'm not sure Hmm. um but either way it's definitely i think it's definitely the case with the event itself with the, the water landing itself is that it reveals a little bit of a time, starting with what we already know, yeah. and then going with the stuff we don't know.
1: Well, it reminds me of, uh, forgive me if this has come up in some review or somewhere, but it, it reminds me, the structure reminds me of one of my favorite novels, which is catch 22. Mm. Have you read catch 22? Yes. So it starts off with the Osirian, you know, you see these little, little glimpses of what happened in the plane, oddly enough. Um, in the plane, and it's like a horrifying moment, but you don't really know the context completely. And then the book structure loops back around to that probably what four or five times. I can't remember now; it's been a while. Um, so that by the last time you see this event, as horrifying as it is, you're finally seeing it in the fullness of what he's sort of been restricting himself from remembering. Yeah, and that's uh, also kind of correlates with this movie. I think just if you want to think about it from a from a, a mental point of view or a memory point of view, or from a blocked memory point of view, yeah. you know, he's been standing Sully has on, on his, the veracity of his memory yeah. for the entire movie. But you, but the fact that he does need to get up and take a break after hearing it tells you that he didn't remember everything, yeah. or he, at least he was cutting off his memory of how he felt yeah. during those moments. Even if you remember the facts and it's the same way with, uh, with catch 22. It's like, by the time you get to that point, it's like, you're, you see the exposed nerve yeah. of Yosarian's, you know, worldview, where he is mentally, spiritually, physically, all these things. And it's the same with this, book, with this movie. And it is fascinating. It's fascinating that, that it's almost like you feel like you have to, like, live off of, for like, 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, that's all we're going to get of that. So, yeah. now we're going on. And then you get more of it. It's, like, satisfying to see more of it they've been talking about it for the last 20 minutes. Now you yeah. see more and they talk about it more and there's more conflict, whether or not it works, there's still more conflict and then you come back to it again. And by the end, it's so satisfying to see the entire thing play out. It, even though you've seen bits and pieces of it already, it fills it out in a way that's like, oh yeah. And it's actually kind of breathtaking in a way.
0: Well, and it speaks to how the NTSA could have been used because when you think about it, they could have almost been an audience surrogate where... As they find out more, we find out more. Right, And so, I don't know, they could have, it could have been like, these guys are looking to get to the truth, not because they're suspicious of the story, but because they just want to find out more, just as we do. Right. Um, And then there at the end, you know, then if that were, if they had tried to strike that tone, then I feel like at the end, when the NCSA finally does hear everything and they finally exonerate and praise Sully, I think that would be more earned because that's something that we ourselves are are inclined to do now, right? Um, and so, yeah, I I really feel like that is definitely uh, the tone of those scenes is where the film I think hits wrong. And even then, there are moments in them that I like, um, but the larger film I actually like quite a bit. And and we can now get into uh, not necessarily the companion film. We'll get into some of the some of the other stuff first and that will get us into the companion film. One thing that I shouldn't have been surprised about, but, but I was, which is the, the specter of nine 11. Mm-hmm. I probably put it exactly this way in my review. The specter of nine 11 looms large over the events of Sully. And I didn't think it was going to. And I realized like, I don't live in New York if I lived in New York and what happened in Sully happened, there would be such a sense of, thank God. Like I'm, because even though it had been eight years, it's just like eight years really isn't that much. Right. And, and, you know, 9-11 for me, having never even been to New York, much less lived there. Um, of course, it's this terrible thing and it's, it was a terrible tragedy for everybody in, in this country. We all felt like we were close with New York. That's different than living there. And seeing it. And seeing it you know it's you know one of the reasons that i love 25th hour so much is because i feel like it strikes it's a film that is not overtly about 911 but 911 it's 911 is all over that film and so it's weird i should have thought about that when i went into this film but i didn't because in my mind well it's 8 years later and even then the yeah. movie is made you know 15 years later right um and sometimes it's a little bit shoehorned in, but other times I think it fits really well. There is a scene where, uh, a guy is, is, uh, escorting, um, Sully to his hotel room and is providing him with like various supplies and such. And he says this last thing and it, and it's what I like about it is because there's what I like about this line is that there's no real poetry to it. It's just very matter of fact, the way a person would probably say it in that moment where he says, you know, it's been a while since New York had news this good, especially with an airplane in it. Hmm. Love that line. Yeah. And and, this, and, it's, and that idea helps us, or helped me anyway, um, understand why Sully made the decision that he made, which is everyone's saying like, well, you know, you could have, you could have turned left and tried to land at this airport. And he never says this. But it's almost like, are you telling me you wanted me to fly into the city at a time that my airplane isn't tip top? Right. Is that really what you want? Because, yeah, maybe that could have worked. But what if it didn't? Do we really want this again? Admittedly by accident? And just like, and that idea, suddenly, you know, Sully's actions seem certainly heroic in the moment but also on a larger scale you know yeah. it's not merely the people on this airplane could die but it's also like this city in this country has had quite enough of this and i'm not going to continue to take away people's hope and i'm going to make sure that if the if people are going to die it will only be the people on this plane and nobody else. That is where the tragedy will end. It's a huge tragedy, but that's where it will end.
1: I wonder if any of that factored into his gut reaction in that moment, in those thirty-five seconds or however long it was.
0: I feel like it,
1: I don't know if it. Con- it's hard to know. I don't know if it yeah. consciously
0: did. Maybe unconsciously. Um, but yeah, but it's definitely all over the movie. And, and well, I got not think it. that I any operation pilot- of it.
1: I got to think that any pilot that's flying in and out of New York as much as he was probably never doesn't think that's terrible grammar, but never doesn't think about nine 11 as they're flying toward the city. It's like, this is what, you know, this image that I'm creating by flying this plane to LaGuardia is the same as any other, as that tragedy, that tragedy that day. And so I would think that it does, it would, I mean, it's a huge leap to to speak for Sully, but um, if, if that's true, that they probably can't not think of that when they're flying their plane in and then they're in a situation where it could be a disaster. Yeah. And they're piloting the plane. I don't want to be flying over the city low. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy. Even if it gets to LaGuardia or the other airports. Yeah. Like I don't want to be the guy that was flying solo that it terrified New Yorkers in the street.
0: And there was there's this speaks to, I think, Clint Eastwood's sensitivity as a director, is that there are a couple of scenes where you see people in their office building and they look out the window and they see the plane flying low and whoever these extras they got pitch perfect. Yep. They were because there's this look of like not a look of not again. And it's just this harrowed look. And it's (laughs) this feeling of like, okay, we've all learned to live our, it's, it's when an old tragedy or an old wound gets drudged back up and it's very present in the moment. And you, and in that, in the look on their faces, it's and it's very brief, but in the look on their faces, it's just like, yeah, this is ever present in the minds of people that live in New York,
1: and for it to flip, yeah, so to speak, on on a, a positive that it, yeah. it, it was a success, yeah, must have been as you've been as your major point is that that was a huge relief. It had to be, yeah. Uh,
0: so with that in mind, uh, I was I was torn in what the companion film would be mm-hmm. uh i was thinking of uh, apollo 13 uh not merely because of the presence of tom hanks but when i first saw the film i remember thinking i was thinking in terms of tom hanks movies and i thought like oh okay so this was touted as captain phillips but it's actually more apollo 13 in the sense that it's more ensemble it's a bit more ensemble based and it's more about what people collectively did Mm -hmm. as opposed to this one person or whatever. Um, and so I I liked the idea of that. Um, but honestly, the more I thought about nine 11, the more I thought about talking about the show, the, the movie in context of this show, the more I thought, okay, well, it's not a movie I talk about much, but we're going to talk about United 93, which came out 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, seems appropriate. Um, and so, United 93 was written and directed by Paul Greengrass. It stars, frankly, not a lot of, like, no-named actors. Like, they're all character actors and such, but there's no, there are no stars in United 93. It's just very dependable actors that you've seen elsewhere. Um, the film was nominated for Best Director and Best Editing, understandably so, on both counts. Um, it was one of my... It was my... It was weird. It was my set... It was my first or second favorite movie of that year. I think officially it wound up being number two behind the Proposition, but I found myself having a hard time ranking it. How do you rank this movie, where that is trying so hard to seem like a documentary? It's not trying to actually be that, but it's trying to be you know a docudrama, right down to not casting big stars, you know, and the way that it's cut together and the way that it's shot is really very you know there's a verite style to it, and given the subject matter and the way that it's made, how do I even begin to compare this to no, what am I going to do? Compare this to Pan's labyrinth from that year, uh, casino Royale. It's, it seems like it, it exists, like it should exist outside of standard movie discussion. Um, at least at the time. Uh, but I still, I love the movie. It's, it's a movie I haven't seen in 10 years. I don't need to, it's, so much of that film is, is branded onto my brain as it should be. Um, and, you know, we'll get into why it's the companion film and not merely the nine 11 connection, but also thematically some stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, but you only saw it yesterday, right? Yesterday or, morning.
1: Or uh, the was first time, the first time. Well, I'd seen like bits and pieces here and there. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember how I saw just bits and pieces of United 93. But I'd only seen a little bit of it, and uh, I'd kind of been avoiding it, frankly. Sure. Because I'd heard so many people say, well, it's extremely harrowing. I'm like, well, I know the story. Um, I don't really want to be put through that. Um, I'm not so delicate. It's not like I don't watch like horror movies and stuff yeah. like that. But it's it's just the, the nature of it is so uh, sad, yeah. um, pervasively sad, that I, I just didn't want to put myself through it. But once you claimed it, named it, and claimed it as the uh, companion piece... Um, companion movie i was like well i guess i need to see this and and you know it's a movie that i think film lovers film uh, appreciators should uh should see because it is so extremely well done um so yeah i did see it yesterday and uh, it's extremely fresh on my mind yeah and it, uh, it's funny because i was trying to watch it uh yesterday morning before aubrey got it my wife before she got up so that i wouldn't have to subject her to it as well yeah. i was watching it on my computer on the coffee table so it was at least kind of a way from her from her eyes she came down the stairs but as she sat down next to me she's like what are you watching united 93 why well and i told her why and she uh she said you can still watch it if you want i'm like it's a very you know tense movie she said fine so we ended up watching the last 15 or 20 minutes of it together and it's like yeah you just you get so pulled into it because it is so well done and also because you know that it really happened yeah and because it's just sad. It's just a, the, the sadness of it just pulls you right in. And those actors are incredibly, yeah. incredibly good. The, I told Aubrey the only thing that kept me complete from being completely in the movie is I used to work on CSI Miami, and one of the main guys that says hey we should probably do something about this mm-hmm. um, is was a character on Miami that oh, okay. was kind of a goofball, but he's here he's playing just really you know level headed, straight looks at you straight kind of guy and. Um, so that took me out every time it showed him saying something. But outside of that, it was a, a it is a perfectly well done movie. It's just really incredible to watch. Um, and also, I tend to be this is a, a total offshoot and branch that we probably shouldn't get into too much. But I, I tend to be sucked into conspiracy theory type stuff. And so watching the movie was sort of like you know there's, there's this whole truther stuff. You know, I'm not a truther, but at the same time, a lot of that stuff is fascinating when you actually start reading it. It's like, oh, that's really hmm, interesting. You could look at that both ways. Hmm. Yeah. And the stuff surrounding that flight, there's all kinds of, you know, it's its own conspiracy theory all by itself. Yeah. And so I'm watching the movie and debating with myself do I actually get emotionally involved with this if it didn't really happen this way? Uh, you know, those kind of things kind of, it's like watching JFK. It's like, yeah. well, what do you, what do you, how do you evaluate what you're looking at if you've heard so much stuff yeah. or read so much stuff about the veracity of, what, of the facts that they, pretend to be presenting to you. I said veracity and pretend in the same sentence. I hope I got them both right.
0: Um, it's the kind of thing that gets us nominated for podcast awards. There
1: you go. I'll, I'll do it some more. Um, so, uh, again, that's, that's a stupid thing to even bring up, but that's part of, was part of my fascination watching it was just because I, I tend to read a lot of that kind of stuff. So fantastic movie. Glad I saw it. Yeah. Uh, Like you, I don't think I'll ever, ever have to see it again. Uh, I didn't buy it. I don't know why I bought it. I guess I felt
0: like I should. That was back, it was 10 years ago. So like that was at a time when I sort of felt like I should buy every movie I like, um, even if I'm going to rewatch it.
1: Yeah, I like the fact that it's in, in that vein. I like the fact that the way I watched it was streaming on Hulu. I'm like, <laughs> what? You can just like... Kick up your heels one afternoon after mowing the lawn. Hey, yeah. let's watch United 93, kids.
0: Be like, oh, well, I've already watched all these episodes of American Dad. What should I watch? Oh, <laughs> exactly. I know.
1: It doesn't seem like the movie that should be that readily available. You should have to go get it. Yeah. Or borrow it or something.
0: Yeah. It doesn't seem like an impulse watch. It yeah. seems like you need to be very purposeful
1: Frankly, you should you should have to go to a museum and see it. That's how it feels to mm. me. It feels like... That's why... You know, we you were saying it's hard to like evaluate it against Pan's Labyrinth or one of those other movies. It's like, it's because it doesn't feel like it should be in a theater. It feels like, or at your home, it feels like it should be part of a monument of some kind to these people that gave their lives um, that day. Just really.
0: And that's exactly, honestly, um, before we started recording, there was talk of uh, at the time, um, you know, why, why was this movie allowed? Uh, culturally, it was only five years, only after, five
1: years. It shocked me when know. I saw the, the date on it
0: and people saying, and there are a lot of articles written about it. And even amongst my friends, um, you know, one of the co- things we were talking about is like, is this too soon? Hmm. And my opinion is that it's never too soon to make a good movie. <laughs> However, Pearl Harbor came out 60 years after the initial event. And I'd say it's too soon. make a terrible movie there you go you know and so you know given like think of the way that you were talking about it i mean it's a monument to these people Mm -hmm. five years is not too soon to make a monument to these people and their sacrifice um so yeah uh listeners if you haven't seen it uh it is a wonderful film i mean obviously you need to prepare yourself for it but it is a, a, a marvelous film and just a I don't know, it's I, I feel like words can't even fully express how how great the film is. And actually one of the things that I like about Sully is is certain elements that it has in common, obviously there are a number of them, uh, with United 93, but the idea of like people who almost miss the plane and then they make it. Right. You know, they're, both movies have that. And for some, you know, for the people on the flight in Sully Thankfully, it still turned out okay. You know, it is a, a, a crazy thing that happened in their lives.
1: Yeah.
0: Whereas for the people in 1993, it is the worst thing that could have happened to them. It's the so ultimate they, tragedy. And you yeah.
1: almost didn't have to die. Yeah. So it's... Uh, but also the fact that, uh, maybe you were about to say this, I'm stepping on you, but the fact that both of them do kind of take a docudrama kind of approach. Yeah. Um, despite Eastwood's need, or the script's need in Sully for there to be an antagonist. Yeah. Um, there's still that that uh, devotion to the other people that are involved, like the yeah. air traffic controller and the Coast Guard. As you've, we've said this a, a couple of times already, but but it's the same way in United ninety three. You're yep. with the military guys as much as you are with the uh, the head of the uh, the air traffic controllers as you are with the people in the plane. It's like it's kind of a balance. You remember yeah. the parts in the plane after the fact. It yeah. feels like it was all on the plane. It's so claustrophobic at some point, at one point, but. But you really are with those other people just as much. And yeah. it, it makes it a, a well, to use film criticism sort of words, a just well rounded kind of movie. Um, but a, 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 I guess a more human way to put that is it gives everyone uh, a chance to be seen as a part of that story yeah. equally. Um, not that any one person had, you know, ultimate sway over what was going to happen or anything. No one could have predicted this. And except for what they did, no one could have stopped it. So, but the fact that they, they did, you were behind the air traffic controller, like saying, this is happening, this is happening, what do we do? Yeah. And the actors that they cast for even those, I felt like at one point in United 93, it almost felt like they must have cast people that were actually those people. Not on the day, but that had you know that what job. I think,
0: I think there is one or two people at that level, like the air traffic controller, that were the actual people. Wow. Uh, there was, I think like a Colonel or a general that was played by Greg Henry and you've seen him before, but Mm -hmm. uh, Henry, pardon me. Um, but yeah, I do think that they actually cast a couple people that were, you know, and it's like, well, that definitely.
1: There's something about the way an actor, or I should say a character looks on a screen. It's like, you can tell by the way their level of acting skill, plus the way they look, it's like this person would have never gone out to be an actor. So you get the feeling. I mean, it's just the impression you get. I'm not saying that they didn't, but, uh, the impression that you get is that is just more reality and well, it aids the docudrama sort of aspect of the film.
0: Well, and that actually brings up captain Phil the end of captain Phillips, as we were talking about is when he's being, you know, asked questions, not interviewed, but like when he's being asked questions by that, uh, you know, I don't know what you, that doctor, that boat doctor, that's not the word. Um, <laughs>
1: like well, boat, she's, boat she, doctor
0: school. she's not an actress. Hmm. She was the official doctor of, Oh, the wow. The boat that everybody was staying in okay. at the time. And that scene was basically improvised. Like Tom oh, Hanks no. was saying like, hey, once Phillips got out of this situation, what did he do? And they said, well, they took him to this uh, boat doctor. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, well, can we do that? And so suddenly this woman who's not an actress is, on the, is in this movie. And like they did one take and she was kind of starstruck. And so Tom Hanks had to say like, you're in charge. You, you know, you are, you're literally just doing your job. I'll, that's cool. I'll do my, that's really cool, but you do yours. And so she just, so it didn't need to be scripted because she has her lines. She knows exactly what she's supposed to say. Of course. And then he, and that frees him up to react. Yeah. And it's just like, and that's one of the reasons that scene feels so real and so immediate. Well, we
1: should say that the, the common thing here is Greengrass. You know, he's did both. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, there's definitely yeah, there's a uh, there's an element to him as a director that I really love. I didn't see Green Zone. I heard that I probably wouldn't like it that much, but hmm. I do like his Bourne movies and then he did something this year, right? Oh, I guess he made the the he made Jason Bourne this year. Um hmm. which I didn't see and I heard it wasn't that good. But um so to not necessarily wrap up, but to briefly get into something, um, there is a reason. Okay, this is I, I'm this is dicey. I'm gonna feel kind of crappy. Just jump in. There's a reason that we are that there was a movie made about United 93, as opposed to the three other planes. They all deserve to have their stories told, hmm. but the reason that we are watching United 93 is because this is the one where the passengers. Got word of what was happening and decided that, you know, we're going to try and, you know, we're going to try and take control of the plane and live. But one thing that's definitely not going to happen is we're not going, we're not going to run into any buildings. That's not going to happen. Right. And so they actually stood up against the terrorists because for the same reason that Sully could have, yes, he could have tried to land in LaGuardia, but he, like, no. Like, that might even be the safer thing to do. Who's to say? But we're going to keep this to us. If anyone's going to die, it will be us and no one else. And I find that way of thinking so, you know, to a certain degree, there's pragmatism. But also, there is definitely a heroism there, which is you're thinking of the larger picture. You're thinking of people you've never met. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and that is to me such a, such an inspiring thing. And and when you see the, the passengers on United 93, like when they, when they make these decisions, you know, none of them feel great about it. This, this is a, an unwinnable situation. They do what they can to win it, where there's a pilot on the plane, they try to get them into the cockpit and try to save this flight and they can't. So they tried to. They tried their best to get out of the situation, but I think they probably knew that th- there's not a great chance we're going to get out of this, right. but they still did it anyway um now there's a certain degree of of um, inevitability to it, which is like well, if we don't do it, then it's at least, it's gonna
1: we're gonna die anyway. we're gonna die, one die anyway. or another right
0: so there's that, but it's almost like well, we choose how we're going to die right you know we and we choose to die alone it's as like, will inside to, of
1: Uh, uh, the, I lost the word. Go ahead.
0: It's, you know, we're going to die alone Mm -hmm. instead of bringing anyone with us, you know? And so I don't know. It's, I, I, I get obviously as so many other people, I get emotional at that way of thinking. And so um, I wanted to bring up a couple of things. Uh, One is a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that guy. Yeah. Uh, If I sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't, as a Christian, simply wait for the catastrophe, then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. Now, for those that don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a, a devout Christian living in Germany at the time of World War II, and he was part of a plot to kill Hitler. It did not happen, obviously, and he wound up in jail and then was eventually executed and there have been people that have debated the morality of what he was trying to do. Um, I would say that's silly. Um, well, maybe not silly. That's a little bit reductive, but I would say that, you know, if, if, if a Christian soldier is allowed to shoot somebody on a battlefield, then, you know, taking out the, the leader who is, you know, not just a politician, he's a, a militaristic leader. Um, I'd say that's perfectly acceptable. Um, and so, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was talking about, like, I tried to do what I could, even though it might not have succeeded and I was, I would probably wind up dead, which is eventually uh, what happened. Um, so uh, I wanted to, you know, we likely will never be in this situation um, where we have to make life and death choices, Um, but we are often in situations where we do have to make a choice between just what's right and wrong. And obviously we have to choose what's right, even if it's not a guarantee that things are going to go well for you. It could be, I'm only thinking of examples that are political in nature, but like taking a stand against the culture. And against you know uh, maybe even the laws or whatever um, that you think are are unjust, um, you could wind up getting sued. You could wind up getting arrested. Or hey, maybe you could get a you could claim a great moral victory and and people are on your side and you actually come out ahead or at least you aren't hurt. Um, but even if that does happen, you still have to do it. And so there's a. a A uh, a passage here from Daniel. This is Daniel 3, verses 17 through 18. And this is uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think that's how you say that last name. Um, Standing up to uh, the king and saying that they're not going to worship his God. And he threatens them with death. And they respond with, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Pretty bold. Pretty bold. And what I think is interesting is when I was younger, I looked at that and I thought like, well, that's hedging, you know, which is they're saying the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's but hand. But even doesn't. if he doesn't, <laughs> and I and I, and when I looked at that, I thought like, okay, so... They've given God an out. That's nice of them. But I also, you know, if, if we're going to look at the specifics of what, what is said, it says the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Okay. That's not the same as he will. Right. But then it says, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Well, the, I, I always put those two things together. Delivering them from the furnace is not necessarily the same as delivering them from the hand of the king. Uh, it could quite literally mean that, like, if he doesn't deliver us from the furnace, we're still out. Like, we we are still out of your control, and we will have gone out on our own terms. Um, and this idea of, you know, even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Um so I know it, it may seem strange to uh, be talking about this. It seems like a weird dot to connect. But if we look at Sully and United 93, you have people in very... Sim- in Not exactly, but in similar circumstances, and they make a choice. In the case of Sully, it turned out well. In the case of United 93, it didn't. They, but in both cases, it was still the right choice. And... You know, and so I'll go ahead and read this. I will try not to get emotional as I do. It is the at the end of united ninety three um, it is the the first title card that comes up, and it says of the four air of the four aircraft hijacked that day united ninety three was the only one that did not reach its target. It crashed near Shanksville, Pennsylvania at 10 o three am No one survived and that idea of no one survived." but they did achieve something, you know?
1: Mm.
0: And so, uh, and I also wanted to throw this out there, another Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. And so I would say, again, though you are likely not going to be faced with a life and death death circumstance, um, we are faced with, you know, cheating on our taxes, for example, And you could be super honest, uh, you know, well, you should be super honest with your taxes and, you know, by all means take whatever deductions you can, but don't lie. (laughs) Um, and yeah, that might mean that you have to pay more taxes or you might even be audited or something like that, but, and maybe things will turn out fine. Who's to say, but we still have to do the right thing anyway, regardless of the outcome. Um, and then we can at least say that we are, I don't like to use the term, but I, I trust that you know what I mean when I say it, that we are blameless at the end of it. Um, and so, you know, I know that it's a, like I said, I to repeat myself once again, it's a weird dot to connect. Do you think it's, do you think it's uh, let me ask you co-host Robert. Um, oh, I'm still here. Yeah. Sorry. I've been talking for a while. Um, do you think this is a stretch uh, to say what I'm saying here in regards to these films?
1: No. Um... It's fine if you do. No, not at all. Um, I, th- I, th- I think about these two movies and they're so, uh, you said a-, a moment ago, you said, well, we're not going to face life and death situations. And so, typically, you know, yeah. m- most of us won't. Some of us maybe, but yeah. most of us won't. Um, or choices, life and death choices. And I think about uh, that life and death choice in Sully and how much, well, we're talking about heroism as well, how much the heroism that's portrayed in the movie is tied to innate skill, mm-hmm. like 40 years of flying. You know that's what essentially saved everyone's life. Yeah. And in United ninety three, it didn't save their lives, but what 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 is tied to heroism in that movie is courage, It's basically basic raw courage to yeah. do something even though you're not going to die. Cut to um, my wife and I the other night. We get all these screeners, so we're watching uh, this movie. I'm not even sure if it's out yet, but called Hidden. Hidden Figures?
0: It's limited release. Yeah. It came um, out in time for to qualify for sure. Oscar stuff, you know.
1: So, it's it's a, a very basically, it's about um, African-American women back in the early 60s space program who were among those who were uh, sort of the math whizzes who got men into space. And they're, they're like heroic in their own way. But there are scenes of what you would expect, you know, the kind of uh, racism that was inherent in the culture, especially then, and just outright... You know, probably some sexism as well. A that. ton of sexism, and and so at one point, uh, a character, a white woman, is talking down to one of these women, and Aubrey said, "I wonder if." And I paused it, and we started talking, and she said, "I wonder, I wonder if I would be one of one of those women, those white women, back then, who just assumed that they could talk to black women that way and get away with it, or would I be kind? Would I be nice? Would I be?" I said, here's how I think about it. I'm like, how do you, how do I treat people who are oppressed today? Mm -hmm. Um, And fill in the blank, you know, whoever you think that is. And how do you treat them? And so we thought about that for a while. And it's like the the choices that you're making regarding those that you fill in the blank with is how you would probably treat her back then, Mm -hmm. this African-American woman. Um, Likewise... Um, I I wonder, would I be the kind of person who would go, yeah, let's roll and go up the aisle and, and help to bring this plane down before it hits a building? Yeah. Would I be Sully and would I be capable enough in that moment to do what I need to do to save those lives on shore, even if it means the death of these people on the plane, you know yeah. making those kind of decisions? And I don't know. What is the correlation of my own life? Well, it's what you're talking about. It's like... It's not heroism by any means, but will I cheat on my taxes? Currently, uh, I have a text on my phone from CVS Pharmacy saying that I have a uh, a bottle of my prescription medication ready for me at $70. I know that – hold on one second. I know that they calculated that based on my old insurance, which has changed. It's now going to be something like $300. Oh, my. Can I go down there to CVS right now and pick it up for 70 bucks? Sure, I could. Or I could wait until I actually call it in because it wasn't even—I didn't even call it in for right. a refill yet. So it was kind of a, a fluke of, of all kinds. That's—I'm not going to say that's my United ninety-three, yeah. <laughs> or my Sully, yeah. uh, or my would I berate a black woman in nineteen sixty-one. Yeah. But in a way, it is because I'm not going to—I'm not going to face those things. Yeah. I'm most likely going to face these daily choices right. that will, dare I say, Sully my walk <laughs> with, uh, with God, or my fellow man, or my wife, or you, you know, by these choices that I make, or that, I, that I'm doing and then lying about, or trying to cover up, um, these are the kind of things that everyone that's listening to this right now have to face every day. And those are the things that, I don't want to call it heroism, but it is kind of the same thing, because this is your life. This is your question that you have to answer today in your life, yeah. and what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, and that's, that is what uh, these movies are about, admittedly uh, writ large, but yeah, and that is what we uh, as Christians can get out of it is, you know, if the situation we're in, you know, it's, you know, God is able to deliver us from a tax audit, but even if he doesn't, (laughs) we still are going to do the right thing. Right. Um, Okay, so I think we will go ahead and leave it there. Uh, Listeners, you're welcome to comment on this post at morethanonelesson.com along with uh, read the various uh, articles that we have uh, written Um, All right, and then you can follow me on twitter at morelessons you can email me tyler at morethanonelesson.com you can like us on facebook Uh, if you do enjoy the show do me a favor and go to itunes and leave a nice review Um, we haven't had a new one in a while and I like to get a new review a positive one uh, from time to time (laughs) Uh, at the very least it helps with, uh, I know it's hard to explain, but it's, it helps with, the uh, iTunes and, uh, uh, analytics and stuff like that. So, um, helps to raise our profile a bit anyway. Um, okay. I think that is where we will leave it. Happy new year, everybody. Hopefully, uh, Happy we new year. things off with a really, uh, depressing conversation. Um, <laughs> but Hey, it's more than one lesson. That's what we do. So anyway, uh, thank you everybody for listening, Robert. Thank you for being here. You got it. And we'll get you next time. Bye.